Hey, well, uh, good morning, church. Good to see you. My name's Craig, if we haven't met before. And um, yeah, great that you can join with us. I probably need to confess, I really, really like Christmas. It is my favorite time of the year, and pretty much I just like the gifts. Um, I'm quite happy with vouchers. Uh, as well, just if you're wondering. But um, also, I like other things about Christmas. I like the food. I like the holiday vibe. Mostly, I like seeing family. Friends are pretty good too. Um, what? Well, they're not here, so no. <laughs> Extended family. Anyway, um, but I also really like the real reason for the season like the whole fact that God sent his one and only son to dwell among us is, is mind-blowing, right? It's crazy. So, But while Christmas is my favorite time of the year, it can also be a really frustrating time of the year for me too because I see it as becoming increasingly commercialized. And uh, businesses, companies, pretty much do all they can to sell us as much stuff as they can in a really compressed time frame, right? So for them, it's just about making money. So I'm going to give you uh, just 30 seconds, a moment to maybe talk, share with someone that you're sitting beside how you see Christmas being commercialized. And, um, and then maybe we can have some sort of like feedback, some examples. But how do you see Christmas being commercialized in the culture and the society that we live in? I'll give you 30 seconds, have a quick talk about that, and then we'll have some answers. Okay, uh, the, the sermon's sponsored by Kit Kat. Um, no, just kidding. That's, that would be a terrible commercialization of Christmas. Uh, maybe I should give myself a Kit Kat as an example. Uh, anybody uh, got an example that they see, how they see Christmas being commercialized? If it's a good example, I'll give you a Kit Kat. Yo. Uh, no Lemmings Techmas. That is a, a horrible, terrible ad. I 100% agree with you, Gary. Hold that thought for three seconds. Yes? Yep, yep, okay. So Santa, he's features pretty prominently. Yep, cool. Anybody else? Hayley. Oh, yeah, that's right. Half the ads are about food, the other half are about gifts. Okay, any other com commercialization of Christmas? Yep. Oh, Joseph. Video games. Is that worthy of a Kit Kat? Of course it is. No, I'm just, just having you on, Joseph. Okay. Georgia. Oh, okay. Oh, that's, he always wants a chocolate. All right. Uh, Xmas. Now that is a very insightful point, all right? X. <laughs> I have seen some countries' cultures are trying to compress that even more and just say happy holidays. You know? Really? Okay. Well, that's definitely a chocolate for you, Linda. Um, Janice? I'll get one, Janice. Okay. All right, couple more. Yep. I got tons in here. So busy. Yeah, do you think Jesus wants us to be super busy? Probably not. Down the back. Ah, Black Friday sales. All right, here we go. Mila, get ready. Oh, it's out the door. Sue. 
Really? So jingle bells and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, lame All right, good stuff. Good point, good point. Okay, so I think that... What, did I miss someone? Oh, did I not give you one? Oh, sheesh. I did. Okay, all right. I think, I think you're right. I think you've picked up a lot of commercialization of Christmas. I reckon that the commercialization of Christmas is really obvious in the marketing slogans that we're kind of bombarded with. And so I'm going to give you a test just to sort of see how sucked in we are by, by Christmas slogans. I'm going to put up a phrase or a tagline, an advertising tagline up on the screen. And if you know the company or the brand, you can call it out and I will give you a chocolate. Unfortunately, the first one has been very obviously... Um, <laughs> Sean, okay, so Mary Techmas uh, is, is by Noel Leeming, okay? And obviously they're trying to pump it. Gary, do you, do you know the answer to this one, Gary? Yeah, B. You are correct, Gary. All right, awesome. Okay, now we're going to get harder, uh, and hopefully no one has been reading my notes beforehand. Um, so this is the next one. Ma- let's make Christmas magic. Now is it Briscoe's Farmer's Countdown or New World? Glennis. New World, you are correct, okay? That's the... Whoop, whoop. That, was, that was wide. Okay, let's make Christmas magic. Uh, this is the next one. Christmas starts here. The Warehouse, Paper Plus, Rebel Sport or Whitcalls? It is the Warehouse. But I did hear Daphne and Georgia say it at the exact same time. Man, this is like an endless bag of Kit Kats. All right. Okay, the last one, the last one. Silly season sorted. Mitre 10, Bunnings, Kmart or Smith City? Is he? It is not Bunnings. Oh, it is not Kmart. Okay. It is not Mitre 10. <laughs> okay. Does anybody from that business know that? I don't know. Um, okay, it is, it is Smith City. It was sort of limited. Hey, did, Owen, did you have that? <laughs> Owen, I'm going to give you a Kit Kat because you didn't know that your company... <laughs> it is a silly season. Now... Marketing gurus, advertising people have been paid a lot of money to come up with those catchy little phrases and stuff, right? But in my opinion, they have nothing on the original Christmas slogans. There is some, some Christmas catchphrases that have stood the test of time because they really capture the essence of Christmas, like this one, joy to the world, or glory to the newborn king. Or Jesus is the reason for the season. Or peace on earth. I mean, they capture the essence of the Christmas message. And and of those, peace on earth is the one that really resonates with me. I, I think probably because I would like to see that happen. But I also think because all of us want more peace on earth. And the great thing about this phrase is it can be traced to the first Christmas. If you read in the Bible, it records that angels announced the arrival of God's Son, and they suggested that Jesus was able to bring peace on earth. So let me read to you 
that familiar scene. Don't be afraid, the angel said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth. Now when I read those words and then I look at our world, it seems like that ancient promise has had a pretty limited effect. So throughout human history, it has been just story after story of conflict. In the last three and a half thousand years of recorded human history, there has only been 268 years where there was no conflict happening on a, on a uh, large scale somewhere in the world. That's less than 8% of recorded history has been peaceful. In the last century, the 20th century, where most of us were alive, uh, or even born, there's, there was over 960 armed conflicts throughout that 100 years. That's heaps. And we're still seeing conflict on our screens, like the war in Ukraine that's been raging for 11 months. Ethiopia, Somalia, Nigeria, Sudan, they are all at increased risk of civil war. There's rival factions trying to fight for power within those countries. Myanmar, there is ethnic tensions which have, have led to significant hostilities. Even in South America, Colombia and other countries, the authorities are, are waging war on the drug lords and, and innocent bystanders are being caught up in that conflict. And so it seems like that promise of peace on earth is it's not really happening. And I think we're acutely aware of that at Christmas because there's a real lack of peace in our world and we sing about peace and we, and we say that we really want more peace and then we end up pushing our way through the aisles and, and we end up barely tolerating our relatives or stressing about the food and the, the holiday plans and peace is like the last thing that we experience. But maybe we need to take a closer look at the specifics of that ancient promise of peace. Because this is what the angels said. Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. You need to note that's not an all-inclusive promise. The angels are not announcing peace to everyone. In fact, it's to those whom God is pleased. Other translations say uh, to those on whom his favor rests or to, to everyone who pleases God. So it's not a promise of peace for everyone, but peace is available to anyone. And how do I know that? I know that because the first people who heard this message were not really your typical audience. Anyone remember or, or know who, who were the people who heard this message? I'll give you a clue. They looked like this. The shepherds, right. And in the first century, shepherds were on the edge of society. They spent months on their own traveling with their flocks, and they were viewed as rough and as dirty and uh, unkept and, and un untrustworthy. And so the real shock is that these are the type of people who receive this really important message. In fact, this is one of the most amazing aspects of the Christmas story. God did not announce the birth of his son to nobility or royalty. There were no kings or queens, no rulers and regents invited to his birth. Instead, it was ordinary shepherds. The outcasts, the outsiders, 
they were invited to meet the King of Kings. And so for me, the takeaway is that if God's favor rests on lowly shepherds, if God is pleased to give his peace to ordinary people like these men, surely there's peace is available to us as well. Which kind of raises the question, so, so what does God's peace look like? And I wonder if we have a, a limited understanding of God's peace. I think sometimes we expect the peace of God to be about avoiding conflict. You know, no hostility, no tension in our relationships. Uh, we should be able to enjoy quietness, calmness, stillness, serenity everywhere we go, with everybody we meet. It should just be peaceful. Now, <laughs> you know that life is messy, right? If you're expecting uh, to just sort of float through life in this kind of peaceful bliss, that's probably pretty unrealistic. I hate to burst your bubble, but that's probably not going to happen. Maybe the truth is that peace is more than just absence of conflict. It is more than just a quietness and a calmness in ourselves. Real peace is knowing the presence of Jesus with us. And that's why peace is at the heart of Christmas, because at the first Christmas, the presence of Jesus was with us. This is how one of his first followers put it. The Word, that's God's Son, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It was prophesied long before that his name would be Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now you might think, well, that is a lovely theological idea. It's, com it's comforting to remember that Jesus is with his people, but how does that practically work? What, is that, what does that look like to have the presence of Jesus in our everyday lives? I'm just going to very quickly share with you three ways which, which Jesus brings his presence and his peace into our lives and how that makes a difference. And the first one is this. They all start with P because that's all I had in the dictionary this week, but that's not true. Um, presence. Jesus' presence protects us. So the Bible records that uh, <clears throat> on one occasion Jesus was praying to God and he was reflecting on his mission and what he had taught his followers. And this is, this is what he said. During my time here, I protected those you gave me by the power of your name. I guarded them so that not one was lost. The world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. Some of you know that, um, that I grew up in Omeroo. And Omru is now, you know, the, the hip, steampunk, seaside destination. But back when I was a kid in the 90s, it was just a weary, working-class town. <laughs> and uh, I had some friends who were from Milton, um, which is a rural... Yeah, I know, there's like... Not Lindley, someone else. Um, there's a rural service centre... Milton is a rural service town just sort of like south of Dunedin. And uh, actually... This one particular occasion, myself and my friends were in Dunedin, and we were going to the movies. Now, this may come as a huge surprise to you, but as a teenager, I had an oversupply of self-confidence. And 
for some reason, I thought that because I was from Omaru, I was very superior to my friends from Milton. And I know it seems ridiculous, but the, the reality was I was a very skinny white boy who didn't shut up, and my friends were uh, strong boys from a farm, lots of skills, okay? So there was no reason for me to think I was better than them, but I did. Anyway, we're in Dunedin, we're heading to the movies, and I was trash-talking them, saying they're country bumpkins from a tiny village, etc., etc. And we got to this busy intersection, I had a quick look, uh, check for cars, thought it was clear, put my head down and started to run across the road, and, and I'd only taken a couple of steps, and this, this huge hand reached out, and I felt the back of my t-shirt just get pulled and wrenched me backwards onto the footpath, and a split second later, one of those massive sheep trucks, like an 18-wheeler sheep truck, just, just powered past inches from my face. Like, it was so close, I could see the little sheepy eyeballs looking back at me. <laughs> I was pretty shaken up, right? I I mean, that was a near-death experience, uh, sitting there, catching my breath, and my friend said, not bad for a country boy from Milton, eh? (laughs) He literally saved my life that day. He protected me from getting squashed by a very, very big truck. And in, in times since... I've had a similar experiences with Jesus. I mean, I don't run out in front of trucks anymore, so that's, I've definitely learned my lesson. But there's been situations where Jesus has protected me, where it's been very clear that God's hand has been shielding me from harm. And perhaps you've been there too. I don't know, maybe it was a round of redundancies at work and, and your job was secure. Maybe it was a potential business partner, they pulled out from a deal and then later you found out that they had financial problems. Maybe it was an accident that you were in, but it could have been so, so much worse. Maybe it was a health diagnosis that ended up being not as bad as you initially thought. You know, it's those situations that we we look back and we recognize that God is protecting us from consequences that could have been far more severe. I think sometimes we don't even realize that we've been protected from stuff. I mean, how close was that car to hitting us? Or how do we avoid catching that that bug, that disease that was going around? It's in those moments that we see the protection and the presence of Jesus, and that gives us peace. The second way that Jesus' presence, uh, the second thing that it brings us is a fresh perspective. So the Bible contains a letter written uh, by an anonymous author, and in this letter, the author encourages his readers to persevere through tough times. This is what he writes. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And so here's the thing, if you know Jesus is with you, if you are tapped into his power and his presence, then you see things differently. You look at your troubles and your trials and you trust that Jesus has it sorted. You view your hurts and your heartaches as an opportunity for faith to grow. You persevere through changes and challenges because you believe in God's good timing. In the 16th century, there was an English sailor, and he returned home after years at sea. 
and he'd been on uh, expeditions that were led by Sir Francis Drake. Now, Sir Francis Drake was an explorer, an adventurer, a, a Navy commander. He was pretty famous in the world at that time. He was the first Englishman to circumnavigate the world. Anyway, the sailor, he steps ashore, and uh, the minute he gets on the docks, he's confronted by this, this man who, who ridicules him, and, and the guy says, far out, you haven't got much to show for all these years that you've been away at sea. You've got no family, you've got no land, you've got no house. And the sailor looked at this man and he said, you're right, I haven't got much to show. I, I don't have a family, I don't have a land, I don't have a house. But it's, it's worse than that. I've been hungry, I've been thirsty, I've been cold, I've been tired, I've been frightened. I've even been shipwrecked. But I'm sure of one thing. I have been with the greatest captain that ever sailed the seas. And you know, there is an even greater captain than Francis Drake. He's actually a prince, known as the Prince of Peace. And if you recognize his presence with you, if you fix your eyes on his face, you'll get a fresh perspective on the struggles and stresses that you are going through. Well, lastly, Jesus' presence gives us purpose. One of his most famous teachings, Jesus said this, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Now notice Jesus didn't say, God blesses the peace lovers, because chances are everybody loves peace. And he also didn't say, God blesses the peaceable, you know, people who are never disturbed by anything, they're just totally calm and chill. He said, God blesses those who work for peace. Other translations say, God blesses the peacemakers. And as I look in the world, it seems like the peacemakers are few and far between. Probably because working for peace is hard work, right? It's not easy. But that's what, as followers of Jesus, we are called to do. Working for peace is part of our purpose. And Christmas time is a great opportunity to work for peace. Chances are, in the coming weeks, you're going to be spending some extended time with your extended family that may test your patience. There may even be some deep kind of resentment, some, some stuff simmering under the surface that could be messy. Maybe you need to work for peace at work. Could be some tensions in the workplace, colleagues are really kind of pushing to meet deadlines in the next few days, and that means people get pushed to the margins. Maybe you're going to have to work for peace on your street, I mean, Christmas is the time to party, right? There's going to be neighbours, the volume's going to be pumping on their parties, or maybe you've just got one of those grumpy neighbours who's just always complaining about the cars parked on the street or whatever it is, I don't know. But there are people in your life who you'll have to work to make peace with. And as tough as that is, that is our calling, to be people of peace. One of the first Christians put it like this, he wrote, be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. 
For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. I wonder what our world would be like if more people lived like that. If more people had the peace of God in their lives, if they knew the presence of Jesus was with them. God's favor, his blessing is available to the peacemakers, but we've got to work for that. We've got to see reconciliation happen in our relationships. We've got to pursue peace amongst people. We've got to fight for harmony and unity. But when we do that, when we line up our hearts with the heart of God, we experience the peace and the presence of Jesus. So I'm going to just give you a, a suggestion, just, just for a minute to kind of sit, sit quietly and, and reflect on this, that Jesus offers you his peace uh, in your life, protection, perspective, pers- pur- pur- uh, purpose. There are some situations, probably some circumstances that you're in right now that you really need that stuff. And so I invite you to ask Jesus to give you his peace this Christmas, to make his presence really obvious, to share his protection, his perspective, and his purpose with you in your life. So just for a moment, a few seconds, take some time to do that. I um, I said earlier that peace on earth is a great Christmas slogan. That's true. I really like that. But I think there's probably one that's slightly better, that slightly captures the essence of the Christmas message. And it's this, God with us. You're probably aware that Jesus' time on earth, it was not really a a sightseeing trip. He was here on a mission, started in a cradle, and it culminated in a cross. That cross made a way for us to reconnect with God. This is how the Apostle Paul puts it in Colossians. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. You know, that selfless sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, it demonstrated the love of God for his people. That his son was willing to to walk among us, to bring us back to the Father. And so we remember that this morning just through communion very simple meal, a little bit of bread, a little bit of juice, to represent that love of God for us and that peace we have with Him because of what Jesus did for us. So when you're ready, I invite you to uh, go to the tables at the front or there's a table at the back and um, share in communion together.